right, how we doing, Outpost? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving, or decent Thanksgiving. Maybe you're still recovering from that time together with your family. Not just because of the food, because it's your family. I'm uh, just kidding. Well, hey, so glad you guys are here. Hey, next time that she makes an announcement about Christmas, if I don't hear half of y'all screaming about the best holiday in America, I'm going to lose my mind, okay? There's going to be church discipline on like half of you guys. All right? Christmas is coming. Let's go. Let's go. Best holiday. Actually, the best holiday is definitely Easter, but that stupid bunny and duck got in the way, and they're ruining it for us. So, well, hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. If you've never met me, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Outpost Community Church, which we get to meet in a rec center. And so I want to just say one of the reasons why, or the reason why we're not going to be meeting next Sunday is there's going to be a swim tournament going on here. And we can't meet at the auditorium because I think there's like a craft fair going on there. And so really we have no place to gather together and nobody wants to be outside. So one of the things I want to tell you is, uh, uh, you know, to be the church, it's not about a facility, okay? We're meeting in a 100-yard long gym right now. It's not about the facility, it's about people. And people are the church and we still get to be the church. So I want to encourage you, number one, to gather together with other believers that morning. Maybe you want to click play on the video that we're going to be sending out to you guys. Y'all could sit together and you could be the church together in your living room. It glorifies God just as much as all of us gathering here together in a larger setting. Do you know that? Okay, there's nothing unbiblical about that. Number two, um, it, it's something that you could be praying for us for. We're not looking for a building. We cannot be waiting for a facility. You know, we can't wait to have a space where we could just continually meet and we can uh, facilitate God's business together, but we can't be waiting for a facility. Does that make sense? We could be God's people whether we have one or not. And that's what we should do. And that's kind of what I love about Outpost is it's God's people being God's people whether or not we have a facility. It's not about a cool building you roll up on, okay? It's about a, a group of people called by Christ to be his disciples and to make disciples. And here's the thing. Some of us are cool. Some of us are not so much. And that's okay. All right? God loves us. Some of us are really great at following Jesus. Some of us, we're, we're learning a lot right now. And that's okay. And I want you to know that here at Outpost Community Church, that is absolutely fine. It is okay to be where you are. It's just not okay to stay there. And we want to work together with you uh, as long as you'll work together with us to be uh, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I think that's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. I'm thankful for all the men and women in this church who helped me to be a better follower of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're back in Corinthians. Uh, we finished the marriage, divorce, remarriage series. Nobody emailed me. So either you're just not brave or I did a really good job. Um, okay. And uh, so we're back into Corinthians. So we're going to be finishing, to the, finishing this out throughout the year, um, all the way to the end of the year. And then we'll be heading into some fun things in the spring. Um, but we're going to be in 14. We're going to be starting at verse 26 today. Okay. I want to read this and then I'll introduce some pieces of this that I think you guys are going to notice. Don't worry, that's not a child screaming. I think that's pipes. I don't know what that is. We'll just let it pass. It's distracting. All right, verse 26. This is in the English Standard Version, just if you're wondering. Uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. All right, let me read this to us together. It says this. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each, one, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. 
Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? You meaning the whole church, okay, not just the women. Let me clarify for you real quick. Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or, a spirit or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. All right. Some of you are uh, catching on to what today's about. Okay, which is actually not about that, but we're going to address it. So before we begin, let me just, I mean, let's just be humble before you, okay? Um, I may have a title of pastor, okay, but it doesn't mean I know all things. And today I'm going to do my very best to showcase to you what I believe is God's best for us. And it's going to lead to life and flourishing, okay? But it, as always, I'm a fallible man. I'm a sinner, okay? Ask my kids and my wife. They'll prove it to you. And, um, but, so if anything I say is not of the Lord, I want to pray that it would just hit the ground before it gets to your ears, okay? So let's just pray together. We have open hands, open hearts. I say this all the time. <laughs> As we go through 1 Corinthians, you've had to have your hands open a lot, all right? And that's a good thing. But we all have to come around the one thing is that do we believe that God's way is best? So let me pray, okay? For all of us, we all need some help this morning. Jesus, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the way your word challenges me. There's things in this passage right here that there's anxiety in the room already, and you know that anxiety. I pray you would meet those people, that they would see that you're in the chair with them, whether they're a woman or a man, a girl or a boy, and that you would equip and encourage all of us, that we would trust you in your way above all else, because Satan even right now is trying to distract us and distort our view of your good way. He did it in the garden and it destroyed our marriages and it destroyed this world. I pray that as a man who has the opportunity to teach this, I would not be like Adam and be passive. But Lord, you would equip me and fill me with your spirit to speak boldly and accurately what is your will and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so hey, listen, when I was a kid, um, for, for the longest time, I remember just being raised by a single mother, and my mom is a strong woman, okay, in multiple different ways. I couldn't beat my mom in arm wrestling until my junior year. She might not be strong. I was, might have been just really weak, okay, but uh, she was a strong woman. She is gifted leader, and I've always known her to be that way. She's got opinion. She'll let you know about it because she she's tough, and I love her to death. And I grew up also with men who were not men. They were boys who could shave. My dad, um, particularly my biological dad, I grew up, I remember the first time I really remembered meeting him was when he was in an orange jumpsuit in a penitentiary in New Mexico, okay? And, um, and so I got to see this woman who is working desperately hard to care for me and my brother as a single mom 
working. She'd work through the night and come and pick us up from a babysitter sometimes, take us to every sporting. I got to play every sport I ever wanted to play while with a single mom. There were times where she would be sick, wrapped up in a blanket, laying sideways on the top of the bleachers at a game just to watch me play. And she is sick. All right? No complaints. That woman was a beast. All right? She was awesome. And my dad, who made promises to me year after year and finally got out of prison, I found out that all those promises turned out to not be true. Uh, he, he was more in love with hanging out with his friends and, and, and doing drugs and alcohol and the things that they were doing. He's more, that was more valuable to him than raising his son to be a man. And so <clears throat> that was a challenge for me. That was really tough for me to deal with and figure out. So what I had was I got to, in my life, I saw a lot of women in my life who were strong leaders. And at the same time, I saw a lot of these men who were passive and were not leading out as I would say men are called to lead. And so I think if we take that and we take it to the church, I think it's caused confusion in the church because a lot of times in the church, I've seen this, I don't know about you, but men typically are really passive and not present. And it's women who are kind of like shouldering the church and carrying it along. Have you seen that? I've seen that a lot. Why? Because it's men's fault. They're, not being, they're being passive. They're not stepping up into that leadership. They're more in love with the things of the world than they are in love with Jesus. So they intend, attend churches on Sundays, but then they attend to their own business the rest of the week. And these women who, man, praise God for them, step in and lead in magnificent, wonderful ways. Women, I want to tell you, I'm thankful for you. Imagine what, if the women had not stepped up, where would the church be right now? We'd be in a rough spot. But at the same time, we're going to see and we're going to talk about today, and this is actually not even the subject today, but it's something we have to address because of things going on in our culture and because it's, you know, this little piece of this passage, we need to talk about what does it look like to lead in a God-glorifying way as men and women to get together as compliments. Because it is not good for women to lead alone. It's not good for men to lead alone, but it is very good when we lead together as God designed. Amen? When men step up, and men, I'm going to call you to step up and be the men of God that God wants you to be. He's with you. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be passive. Women, you can trust the Lord your God as he sets leaders and authority over you, sometimes even the sinful man that you happen to be married to. And God's going to use it and do great things. That's what we're talking about this morning. And this is really important because half of you are women. Probably 60% of this room is women. Okay? And the other half are men. So it sounds like, because this is talking about both of us, this is an important thing to talk about. But this is actually not even about men and women. This is about order in the midst of chaos in the church. Now, we've been gone for a month from 1 Corinthians, so let's catch back up on what is really going on so I can dive into here and no, none of you would throw a shoe or a set of heels at me, okay? So go to verse 26. Let me reread this to you, and then we're going to kind of catch ourselves back up on what he's been talking about from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 14. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. So Paul's overwhelming emphasis in all, from 12 to 14 is all about the building up of the body of Christ. It's the main focus of something that we call the spiritual gifts. It's what we've been talking about for a while. And we're gifted and blessed with you and your giftings all for the building up of the body of Christ. So if you go all the way back to chapter 12, verse 1, we see the very beginning of this conversation. Let's kind of track speedily through. Go back to chapter 12, look at verse 1. It's not the gospel according to Greg. I want you to read it. Use your index finger, point out. It says this, 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So the Corinthian church apparently had a either small to very large misunderstanding about the spiritual gifts, much like us. We thought they were to make us look good. They're actually to build up the body of Christ. So Paul launches into talking about what they're about. But to launch into talking what they're about, he first has to make a really important point. And we see it in verse 3 of chapter 12. He says this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking, uh, no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, if Jesus is your Lord, that happened because the Spirit of God was a part of your life. And if you say that Jesus is Lord, you do it only because the Spirit of God is with you in you. And if the Spirit of God is with you, you're not going to say Jesus is cursed. It doesn't make any sense. Because the only way to get the Spirit of God is to say that Jesus is Lord. Lord. Okay, thank you. We've got one. Everybody else? Get engaged. Wake up. Use the spiritual gifting or the physical gifting of your tongue right now, okay? All right, so he says, basically, here's the, the understanding, the point. If Jesus is your Lord, praise God, he is for many of you in this room, then the Spirit of God is your companion, okay? The second understanding that he communicates, chapter 12, is if the Spirit of God is your companion and he dwells in you, which 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, then you have been equipped with one to several spiritual giftings for the building up the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. You should have memorized this. I told you to do it. Okay, it says this. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each means every person who says, Jesus is Lord, Spirit of God becomes their companion. Every single one of them has a spiritual gift. Are you a believer in this room? You have the Spirit of God. If you've got the Spirit of God, you are equipped in a special way that we're, everyone in the room has got to go, praise God, he's here with those gifts because we need them because it's for the common good. And the common good, we're the common good. And those outside of the church, you realize that? Your spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And sometimes building up the body of Christ is somebody becoming a part of the body of Christ, Right? And so he shares that with us. And then he launches into, well, what in the world are the gifts anyways? All right, I got the spirit. I kind of get that, sort of. Okay, now I got these gifts. What are these gifts? Well, he launches into it in chapter 12. Things like wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, discernment, languages and their interpretation, apostles, prophets, teachers, helping, administrating, and a lot more. You'll see those in verses 8 to 10 and then in verse 28 in chapter 12. Now, I'm not in the camp that believes that this is an exhaustive list. There are other lists in Scripture, but I believe it's much more than that. And I also believe that these spiritual gifts were not just active in the early church. They're active today. Okay? So long as we're operating the way God has told us to. If you want more on that information, go back to our podcast and listen to what I said about that. I'm not going to do it today. We're going to keep cruising. So he explains to us what the gifts are. And... Uh, he tells us that each one of us has been strategically gifted with some of these gifts. And then he launches into it in verse uh, 12 through 26. He talks to us about how we are a body made up of many members that together make this spiritually powerful unit, which makes a lot of sense. It's a lot better than one man having all the gifts, all right? That man ain't got time for all of us. 
And it's a lot better than all of us having the same gift, right? Think about a body right now. I've got eyeballs. Can you see my eyeballs? Would it be really weird if I was a giant eyeball up here talking to you? Yes, your, ki- your kids would have nightmares. It'd be really weird. It's really good that Greg Brooks is Greg Brooks and is spiritually gifted in leadership and exhortation and in teaching, but that, you know, you are gifted the way that you're gifted. And together, you and I, we make a better team. We make a team. And that's what Paul's trying to say. So then he says this, though. Here's the problem. When you get a group of people together, say like this group of people right here, you're bringing in a lot of opinions, worldviews, different ways of processing. When I was uh, serving as a youth pastor at CMA, they blessed me with a woman named Nora. Nora was uh, really gifted at training people to understand how to make goals and strategies and all these things. She was wonderful. One of the things she did was she took me through the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. Anybody ever taken that? Yeah, 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 let's go. Um, So I took that, and it was really helpful. And one of the things she told me as she was reading this, first time I had ever done this, okay, Um, one of the things I began to realize, I was like, so Nora, are you telling me, like, my wife thinks different than me? And she goes, yes. I was like, well, that makes sense. No wonder she doesn't talk things out with me. She's thinking about inside of her head. The whole time I've been thinking, why can't this woman talk? I have got all the words ready for her. She just say them back to me. It'd be fantastic. All right, realizing we're different, right? Then here's the problem. When we were so different, add to the fact that we're sinners, okay, this is a room full of sinners. Surprise, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. When you take us and you put us together and we have to get really close to one another, it can get really hard to work together. And so two things end up happening. Here's the two things. Either one, we listen to Paul. And we say, you know what? I make the personal choice that I'm going to use my giftings and I'm going to deploy them and I'm going to be about it with this group of people. Okay? I'm going to use mine. And everybody else makes the decision to say, yep, me too. I'm in. I want to use my gifts. To, to further God's kingdom, to be and make fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we do that, and it becomes a spiritually powerful unit. Church, can you see it? What would happen in Cody, Wyoming, if something like that happened? You know where it starts? I've been saying it for a long time, and I think it's the reason why Outpost is becoming slowly this beautiful place to be. What happens is life and flourishing for every man and woman. It's amazing. But then there's choice number two that you can make, and it's this, that you go full-fledged and seeking first the kingdom of you, right? And your preference is above all else, and how everyone else can serve you, all right, in your kingdom, giving preference to yourself. And so it's two. And what happens when you do that? It leads to a lot of meaningless ministry where we show up, we sit down, we listen to somebody talk. It's super boring. We look at our watch. Right? And we look at him and say, hey, I'm looking at my watch. Can you tell you're over? Let's go. Where are we going to go eat? And then we leave. It's sit down, shut up, pay up, and go about your business. What a waste of our life. There are, if this is a hobby of yours to make yourself feel better, listen. I think fishing is the most boring thing in the planet. But it's better than this. If that's the only reason why you're here. Some of you are going, like, fishing is amazing. I'm never coming back here again. Fine. Care less, all right? So here's what I say. Obviously, I'm a sinner, right? And I'm hurting your feelings about fishing. And so here's what Paul does. In the midst of this, he knows that the Corinthians and us and every church are going to struggle to do this together. And so he, in the middle of this conversation about spiritual gifts, he interrupts with chapter 13. Chapter 12, hey, 
you got to have the spirit. Here's what the gifts are. We're a body. But I know you're going to mess this up. So chapter 13, here's the remedy to this whole problem. Anybody know what it is? It starts with an L. It rhymes with of. Love. Hey, good job. All right. It's love. Okay. It is love. It is the solution to this problem. And that's why he interrupts it. First of all, what does it matter what gift you have or how much money you gave if you do not have love is what Paul says. You could be the Elon Musk of ministry, but if you do not have love, you are nothing but an annoyingly gifted individualist. And you know what the church does not need? Annoyingly gifted individualists. What it needs is a band of brothers and sisters. That's why he says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Listen, it does not insist on its own way. And once we understand this, Paul says, that love is the greatest of these, that love is the greatest metric of success, the greatest tongue that you could ever speak in is the tongue of love to one another, that it's the bloodstream of the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Once you get this, then Paul basically says, have fun, get after it. Have a ball. Chapter 14, flip over to chapter 14, verse 1, what does he say? Paul says that you should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, so long as you're pursuing love, earnestly do it. You know what that basically means? He says, go for it. Put your foot on the gas pedal. Put it all the way down. Burn rubber. Have fun. Use your gifts, man. You be about it. And it's going to be wonderful because God gave you that gift. Your neighbor's going to be blessed. I'm going to be blessed. Your kids are going to be blessed. It's going to be wonderful because you put your foot down, right? And so do whatever you can to throw off every weight that hinders. Drop them all. Everything that is reasonable, get it out of the way and go. Haul tail and have fun. Do it. You have permission. That's what Paul's trying to say. And when we go for it, when we do this, holy moly, you stop calling me and saying, Pastor, I need you to meet my friend. I don't need to meet your friend. He's your friend. You meet with your friend. Do you know the gospel? I, I think so. Well, then tell him the gospel. Love him. That's why we meet together on Sundays. I'm trying to teach you this so you stop asking me about it. And you go and learn it and do it. Isn't that crazy? Let me just break right here. I want to tell you something. This is so great. Okay? Uh, this is totally going to make this go long. My watch is dead, so I don't even know what time it is. Um, for, uh, I think I said this maybe a couple weeks ago, Destin Rhodes' funeral, right? Uh, some of people in our body, um, God bless them, decided that they want to be a part of providing the food for that wedding. Or not that wedding, I'm sorry, funeral. And um, that's a choice that they made on their own. They felt called by the Lord. I had no idea about it. And so f- suddenly I get a text from the lead pastor of Open Gate, um, Cliff Clausen. He says, hey man, thank you so much for doing that for putting that together. Would you send me the, the, the phone number of the leader who's leading it? And I said, hey, brother, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I put, ha, 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 church being the church. Yesterday, our family went and did the Christmas stroll, which is getting better, by the way, praise God. And um, we went, and as we're walking up, I was telling Bonnie, I was like, 
You know, what's so cool about Outpost and the way that we structure this is that community groups can engage missionally however they want, and they don't have to ask for permission. In fact, some of you guys have already done that, and you've made it a competitive game against some of us, which, by the way, my community group will win. And uh, I told Bonnie, I was like, isn't it great that we don't have to go, I don't have to go in my office and organize some like, let's get a bunch of hot chocolate together and hand out tracks at the, you know, at the Cody Coffee, or at the Christmas stroll. I was like, if one of our community groups or multiple community groups want to do that, they can do that. You know why? Because they're the church. And so they can have fun seeking to save the lost along with their Savior, Jesus. That's cool, right? Let's go. Some of you are not as excited because you apparently don't understand what I'm talking about. For me as a pastor, it's like, hallelujah, praise God, church being the church, stop emailing me. And so here we go. Now, what's amazing about all this is God has been waging a multi-millennial war against spiritual forces of evil. And he's already the winner. He crushed death. He crushed Satan's head. He destroyed shame. But there's still a lot of work to do. And what's amazing is he's invited you in to be a part of that. So you've got to ask yourself, what are your gifts? Are you willing to deploy them? Is there things that are in your life right now that you're allowing to get in the way of you using your gifts in the body of Christ? What are those things that are in the way? Have you talked to others about them? Have you confessed them? Is it sin? Is it little preferences? Is it hang-ups? What is it? Is it hurts you have with the church? Deal with them and do something about it because people's lives, their eternal lives, hang in the balance. And it's depending, they're depending on the church. God's plan A is the church, and there's no plan A or plan B. Do you realize that? It's us, and he wants to use us, and I think that's pretty cool. So then Paul, what he does is he begins to, in chapter 14, he uses two uh, gifts as an example. All right, And this takes us towards where we're going to be really focused here this morning. Paul uses prophecy and speaking in tongues. You guys remember me hopefully talking about that? And he uses them as a prime example. And he chooses these because pro- most likely it was the ones that the Corinthian church struggled with the most. They're, they, these are the ones they had questions about. And so what he says is that these are supposed to be used for the building up of the body in Christ. That's the most important thing you need to understand. And if you go to chapter 14, verse 2, he clarifies it. Go to chapter 14, verse 2. Let me read it to you. For one who speaks in a tongue, which is a language, speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So what Paul is saying is that speaking in another language, things pertaining to God, it's not without purpose. It's really, really good. Unless nobody knows what you're talking about, then it's a waste of all of our time. That's basically what he says. If we can't understand what you're saying and nobody can interpret it, let's not do that. It doesn't build up the body of Christ. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, consider that you are gifted at service. Some of you in this room, gifted at service, at helps. It's defined in the Bible as one of the gifts. What is the point of serving? Somebody shout it out. It's a small room. What's the point of serving? To help, to serve other people, right? Hopefully you would not shout out that God has spiritually empowered you to be really good at serving yourself. That would be silly. If you shout that out, okay, listen, I, some of your 
the you know, Instagram influencers you listen to and the pastors you want to listen to, they say that. And you should stop listening to them. They are fools, okay? That is not what it's for. It's for the building of the body of Christ. It's to serve others. and be, to Get your eyes off your own belly button. Look up. There's other human beings in this world. Love and serve them, just as Jesus got his eyes on you and he loved and served you by laying his life down on the cross. Now, this is important. Okay, go to verse 19. Why? Verse 19 of chapter 14. He says, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, okay, in an, in, in an intelligible language to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue where nobody understands me. He goes, that would be a waste of time. Why? Go back to verse 12 of chapter 14. He says this. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What would you say is the, your reason for participating in the body of Christ? Are you here to say that you went to church and to hopefully think that somebody thinks you're a good guy? I'm telling you, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Church culture lied to you. It doesn't mean anything that you attended this place. God is not impressed with that. You know what God really loves? A broken and contrite heart he will not despise. When we see the loving grace of Jesus, where we repent, which means to turn from the way we're going, to go to the way of Christ, and say, I want to follow you. Jesus is Lord. That's what God loves. Okay? And when you do that and you, you see that Jesus is Lord, you're going, you're Lord. Which another way of saying that is he's your boss. And when he's your boss, you attend church not because you're trying to appeal to be loved, you know that you're loved because Jesus proved it to you. You're here because you're like, man, ha, I'm part of the way of Jesus. I'm here to be like Jesus, and I want to love others like he loved me. It's a reaction to love. Do you understand? And that's really, really important because the Corinthian church got really distracted, okay? They got really distracted, and every single one of them was trying to use their gifts and they were all doing it at this, in this chaotic way, speaking over one another and everybody's shouting out their things and speaking in tongues and prophecy and everybody's got a word and all this stuff, right? That's what's going on. So when we come to this passage, verse 27 of chapter 14, what's going on in Corinth is Paul's been trying to have a conversation with these guys and communicate, guys, all of this is from God to build up the church to glorify God. That's what it's all about. And so check out what he says, verse 27. Now you're going to understand, this is what this passage is about. It's not about women in ministry. But we're going to see why that matters here. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Basically, hey, talk to yourself. Nobody knows what you're talking about but you. So following the train of thought of everything I just took you through, a big reminder of where we've been for like two months, okay? What he's basically saying is he's trying to promote order in the church. There should be some order. Imagine if you came in here and like 15, 20 of you were all standing up and speaking in foreign languages. How beneficial would that be for all of us? Maybe you would leave here and go, well, that was cool, but... Cool doesn't do anything, okay? But maybe you'd be like, ah, I have no idea what any of them are saying. Actually, he says that in chapter 14 earlier on. He goes, if people come in here and they see y'all acting like this, acting all a fool, they're going to be like, man, y'all are crazy. 
You got a guy in French and in Spanish and in English and in Portuguese and all, and they're all just going nuts. Just, everybody's gonna be looking around going, what is this? Can anybody vision that? Like it makes me giggle a little bit. And so he's saying like, no, stop it. But hey, if you do have something you're gonna share and you speak another language and you're gonna share this with us and, you're, and it's gonna be interpreted that we might understand it, hey, let's do this one at a time. Anybody agree with that's a good idea? He's trying to bring order. He said, hey, one at a time, okay? One of you speak, let us all hear it and understand it. Be blessed by it. Next guy. And he goes, let's limit this to three, okay? Which I don't think is like, hey, we should not have more than three people talking. That's not what he's saying. He's trying to like, he's just trying to say, guys, let's be reasonable here. If 15 of you talk, by the end, nobody will remember what the first guy ever said. This is just like simple wisdom is all he's trying to communicate. That's all it is. Do you see this? Don't go crazy with this. He's just saying it. So when he goes to prophets, verse 29, he does the same thing, 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Why? So we can hear him. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. Okay? So the same should be said of prophets. Prophets speak on behalf of God in a multitude of forms. I've talked about this. It's either thus says the Lord, like we see a lot in the Old Testament, or kind of in the form that I'm doing right now. And I kind of agree with that. It's like preaching, saying, hey, here's what the Word of God says and how we can live this out. Okay? But when these prophets share, we got to make sure that they, what they're saying is true. It says this, like, hey, let them share what they're saying, but then weigh what is said. And what, weighing what it said is, is this right? Does this stand up? Does this make sense? And here's what I want to tell you. I love this. Okay? I love this. Both as a teacher and as a shepherd of sheep. Okay? Here's what I love about this. Look what it says again, verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Holy cow. 29. I told you. Just a fallible sinner. I don't even know where I'm at right now. Verse 29. I, I'm sure it's this one this time. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. Okay? Why do I think this is really, really good? I think this is really good for two reasons. Number one, because legalism is extremely destructive. And number two, pride is extremely destructive in the church. They are both satanic lies. Number one, legalism. There's this lie in the church that you need to be perfect before you do anything. Anybody ever felt that way or just feel the weight of that sometimes? I do. Like, hey, basically saying this. Hey, you should not even speak until you have six doctorates. You know every single theological point that's known to man and some, even some that people are making up in the moment. You need to know everything. And then once you have it all solidly perfect, then talk to us. That's legalism. You apply that and you, you extrapolate that out to all the gifts. Nobody's going to do anything. You're all going to be bowing down to this idea of perfectionism. But what I love about this is like, hey, speak. Use your gift. Guys, some of you are gifted in mercy and encouragement and, and service and all these things. Use them. And look, if you make a mistake, guess what? Nobody's going to be surprised. It's okay. God's going to continue to love you. You're not going to lose your salvation. We're going to continue to love you. We'll come in and we'll say, hey, do you agree that was a problem? Yeah, that was totally a mistake. I'm so sorry. You're good. We love you. Thank you for saying, agreeing with us, and let's go this way. All right, let's go. And we're going to move on. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to forget about it. Do you understand that? I hope that's, I love that because it frees me up. Because, bro, I make mistakes. And you do too. 
All right? The second reason why I like this, I love this, is because pride is a devil. It's a devil. And the other thing, what it says is basically this. Like, hey, I'm a pastor. Do not challenge what I say. I'm pastor. Oh, my goodness. Anybody ever seen that destroy a church? Let me tell you right now. This is one of the things that is one of our goals with Outpost is we're trying to take this thing, the church, and put it back in your hands. Can I tell you right now, I will not always be the pastor of Outpost Community Church, and I am not an infallible pope, and neither is the pope. That bro's a sinner just like me. And, he, and the Catholic Church can learn from uh, the Bible where, it's, where Peter gets corrected by Paul for following his emotions in a, in a scenario. And Peter comes in, or Paul comes in and says, hey, bro, you're wrong. Every man on the planet needs correction. It is wise to have it. So can I tell you, church, do not let pastors and elders and church leaders prevent you from being the faithful church that God has called you to be just simply because they're leaders. Do not let it happen. So I invite you, please help me be a more faithful follower of Jesus, which sometimes means, hey, Greg, I don't know that that was quite right. Can I step in your life? Can I tell you this? Do we do it in a humble way, in a 1 Corinthians 13 type of way? Love and kindness and joy? Yeah, absolutely you should do that. All right? But every single one of us needs counsel. Oh, man, somebody else should have said hallelujah, okay? Because church has destroyed us sometimes because of this crap. And that's exactly what it is. This power-hungry leadership style. Okay, maybe it's just me. Hallelujah. All right, that's why I love it. Okay, why is all this matter? Why are we in here? We're not diverting. This is so important as we head into the next scene for you to understand this, what Paul is saying about women in the context of the church. It is so important. So the number one reason uh, Paul is saying this, he tells you why he's ta talking about this, and that's verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Let me remind you. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Of order, okay? Organization, as much as my non-administrative brain hates to admit it, is really good for us. So good. Few disagree with me, right? We need some organization. And organization for organization's sake can really rob the life of a church. But a, a church whose life has no organization will choke out all of its potential. Do you understand that? There's got to be order in the midst of this. And what was going on in Corinth is their potential to uh, cultivate life for the kingdom of God was being choked out by the fact that everyone is talking over each other and leading in pride and speaking and this and the other and correcting one another and jumping out. And all the men are doing this in a very destructive and broken way. And so understand that's what's happening. And then Paul says this. Imagine the men in this room all doing that, being crazy. And then he goes this. As in all the church of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. No doubt. I know some of you, this just makes you feel just so upset, okay? That was really wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. <laughs> shouldn't have done that. That was wrong, okay? Totally. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this and not do stuff like that. So let me just tell you what, okay? I know that some of you guys are thinking, right now that Paul is just being a raging sexist right here in the midst of this passage. But I tell you, I think there's something more beautiful happening here, and I think he's doing more for women than you realize. Okay? How so? Okay? 
So what's really going on here that makes it okay for Paul to suggest this? We have to remember that Paul is not addressing women in the ministry. He's talking about organization in the local gathering of the church due to chaotic services, okay, that are not benefiting anyone, especially unbelievers. So no one is benefiting or being built up anymore, which is the whole point of the whole thing. It was a mess. So Paul is trying to establish some order. So a relevant passage that you need to know for this conversation is actually back in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Flip back there. It's worth going and seeing it, okay? Write your own little note next to this. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul does another work of putting things in order, and it's in verse 3 of 11. He says this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and that the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. What Paul is basically doing there, he's saying, here is the order of, of God ordained, what God designed to be the best way, authority. You've got to choose whether or not you want to trust God in this. But it's God who's in charge of Christ, who's in charge of the man, who's in charge of the wife. And when it's done in a God-glorifying way, everybody flourishes. Do you understand? And that's what he establishes back there. A few weeks ago, we saw this again when I talked about what is marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we talked about how God wove this into the order of creation story. God didn't backfill this. This is the way he designed it. And it says this, that Adam was alone, and it wasn't good that Adam was alone. And all the women said, amen, right? Like it's not good for him to be alone. And so then he makes a woman named Eve, right? And he says that she is a helper fit for him. Now don't freak out about that word helper, because as I said before, helper is the same exact word used to describe God's work with Israel. It calls God and helper. So you and God are doing the same thing, helping out. And it says that they are, when they come together, they make something that is complementative and wonderful and beautiful. They are equal in their value, but distinct in their roles. But together, they do something wonderful, okay? But the problem is we live in a sinful world. Everybody knows that. And so God's good intention for what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman has been corrupted. Listen, women, Men have been abusive. We have a history of wife swapping and destruction to women. Women have absolutely bared the brunt of men's sin, probably more so than, than the reverse. But there are sins on both sides of the wedding covenant, of the marriage covenant, of the gender uh, table. We see women trying to dominate over the men, manipulating them, backbiting and hurting them and abusing them as well. You go, well, if they just man up and take it. It's like, okay, that's fine, but you're still disagreeing with what God's designed order is. You showcase that more fully. And so they were called to lovingly work together, male leadership and headship, women's helping in that leadership, but it's coming alongside as a help. This is so important. So it helps clarify what is going on in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14, okay? So both of them, uh, we can't accuse Paul of being abusive in him writing this anymore because what he's trying to say is he's trying to establish an order that is God's order and design. Paul's not trying to squelch women. He's trying to bring order to an already divided, distracted, and chaotically led group of believers in Corinth. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, that passage has said that 
you know, God, then Christ, then man, the woman. He literally says that women and men, or I mean women can pray and prophesy. Assumedly, in the local church. You know, to pray and prophesy, you have to use your mouth. So he's not saying that they cannot do that. That's not what he is talking about. He promotes praying and prophesying. So if you take 1 Corinthians 11, and you come all, and Genesis 2 and all that, and you come back to 14, you get a better picture of what he's trying to do here. Okay, and this is it. He's not saying that women should never say a word in public gathering. That's not what Paul is saying here. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about authoritative language where a woman would be commanding or correcting men in the local gathering. That's why in these verses he says that the, the, uh, the spirit of prophets is subject to prophets. They are speaking over each other and correcting each other. No, you're wrong and all these things. And this is happening. And he's, what Paul is trying to do is protect women. They're saying, do not jump into this and start saying, what you said was wrong. And the women begin to jump in. And now half the room is jumping into this chaos room where the men are not leading well already. It's not good for the women to now jump in and automatically do that as well. Number one, it does not honor God because that's not what God designed. Number two, it protects them. And number three, Paul actually does more for women in this passage than you realize. He makes it important, makes it a priority. Men, it is important that our wives and the women of the church understand the way of God. And we have to answer their questions. And number two, we have to entertain their wisdom and their uh, hesitations with some of the things that we're doing. Do you understand? But let's do it in a way that is appropriate, not just screaming out at our men and saying, you guys are just wrong. Okay, that is what Paul is trying to communicate. Are you tracking with me? You following what I'm trying to say here? Look, I may be wrong, but this is what I believe that it's trying to put forward. So the context in chapter 14, it's about bringing order to a room that is going nuts and losing it. So ladies, you don't read this and go, ah, he just, now I can't say a single word. We just had sitting up here. I've had women up here pray. We've had a panel of men and women who are up here and the women reading scripture, talking about parenting and these kind of things, right? Under the authority of the elders and leaders. They're not here. They're not up here trying to say, here, thus says the Lord necessarily, unless it's under the leadership of the elders. Doing it in a way that respects God's uh, design of order in the church. Now, I get it. Men have not done a good job of leading. And it would be easier to do if they led well, Right? I agree. I totally agree. But we have to do it in a way that God commands us. And so a good example of this is a woman named Priscilla. If you go to Acts chapter 18, you don't have to go there now. I'll read it to you. But in Acts chapter 18, a woman named Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, they correct a man. Let me read this to you. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He knew what he was talking about. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though uh, he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in, in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So regardless of the fact that she did this with her husband, she did it in a way that honors God and honors this man and honors male headship and leadership. She, took him aside and said, hey, I'd love to have this conversation. Let me explain to you a few things that you maybe don't know. You see what she's doing? She's trying to honor him, yet fill in some gaps for him, the things he doesn't know. It's not trying to 
exercise authority. She's trying to actually respect his authority by doing it on the side. That is what he's saying to these wives. He's saying, hey, you know, don't, don't speak up. He's saying, listen, when he's saying go home, it's not making this like housewife, throw on your apron, get back to the kitchen, and then we'll talk about it. He's not saying that. He's saying when you get home, do this in a respectful way. Invite your husband's leadership into it. Ask him the questions you have. Talk to him about it. Wrestle with it. And then your husband, if it's something that needs to be addressed, send that husband back in to go and address the situation. He can go be a part of it. You see what's going on? It's honoring what God has designed, and she's helping out. So regardless of being, of all of what you're thinking, that's not what God is trying to communicate. So what difference does this have in the local church? What does that mean here at Outpost Community Church? So again, if men are struggling to lead in an organized and meaningful way, what's going to happen if the other side jumps in? It might create more chaos. And so one of the things that we're going to try not to do as a church locally, what we never want to do is ask women to be men and ask men to be women. It goes against what God has commanded. So in doing so, there are certain things, ladies, we are not going to invite you into that is meant for men. One of those roles is eldership. There's not a single elder in the Bible that is a woman. And we believe that is an authoritative position in the local church that is responsible for caring for the body of Christ. And so, ladies, we're not inviting you to be men. We're inviting the men to step up and be men and for you to help them. Also, there on Sunday morning in, this, in, the, in what I'm doing right now, I'm teaching in a very elder way. I'm speaking authoritatively. This is what I'm telling you that I think that you should believe. Okay? And so for a woman to come up and stand alone teach, that won't happen at Outpost. Now, I've got friends who disagree with me, and that's fine, okay? But here at Outpost, we do not think that honors uh, male headship and uh, females' um, support of men. Does that make sense? So that's not something that's going to happen. Now, or will there be times where we invite very competent, gifted? Because listen, we've got women in this room who are better teachers than me. They're far more gifted. They're spiritually gifted teachers and preachers. But we're not going to put them in a position that makes them vulnerable in that way and exercising authority over men. Not because we're scared of them. In fact, we're trying to find ways to bless our body by giving them opportunities to speak. So there'll be times where, for instance, I'll sit up here with another woman who's going to partner with me to teach something under the authority of the elders. Does that make sense? That could happen. There are times where, like Celeste and Sydney Gunn, we're sitting up here and they're sharing about parenting and things they're learning, reading scripture to you guys. And I sat with them, communicated and facilitated that alongside them because I feel like they had something powerful to say that would make us better as a church. Other things that I think are really important, we invite women into uh, very important, supportive leadership roles and outposts, okay? We have women on our, our business advisory team who are very gifted individuals, gifted by God, they're smart and they're equipped, and they give us business advice on what we need to do. We don't think that dishonors God, and we want them to be part of the conversation. Our leadership team who are heading to be elders, we've got a pool of women around us who speak into a lot of the things we do, okay? First, our wives who speak into our lives. My wife speaks into my life more than anybody, anybody in this room. And I value her opinion because I'm not an idiot. Because I know that God's blessed me with her and she's called to be my help. And she helps me. But there are other women, you know, Celeste, Kate Monfelt, Sydney Gunn. There are multiple times that I can say that these women have spoken into situations to our leadership team where our leadership team go, hey, that's wise. That's a good way to go. And it's changed the trajectory of what we were planning to do in a specific situation. We go, we're going to do that. 
okay? And if we go do it and it fails, we don't go, see, we should never trust women. No. Why? Because as male headship, we know we bear the responsibility of the decisions we make. We bear that responsibility because we ultimately made the choice, but we also made the choice to be wise and listen to these women in our lives. Are you tracking what I'm saying? It's not that they don't have a voice. They absolutely have a voice, and we are fools as men to not include that voice and their wisdom. Got that? So those are ways we see that. We also have women serving in leadership ways. Sydney, who leads our connecting team, which has men serving on that team. Kate Monfeld, who leads our kids' ministry, which has a lot of men who graciously and lovingly lead and serve on that ministry. She's not exercising authority over them. She's deploying her giftings to organize something and bring organization to something that needs organization to make it happen. And we think that's God-honoring. We do not think that we're messing up the God-ordained roles. You guys see what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to make it apparent and clear what we're doing here at Outpost. We think it honors God. We care. We, it's not that I'm scared that a woman could teach better than me. I already know that some of you could teach better than me. It's okay. But I need to be a man. And our culture keeps screaming to you guys that women, you're not enough until you're a man. And now you're screaming at our men going, ah, you're not men until you're men like us. Which is the foolish and perverted and broken. Call men to be men and women. There is nothing wrong with being a woman. Half the world is a woman. And God designed you in a unique and beautiful way that we need you to be. And without you, as Genesis says, it is not good that men are alone. Okay? And same, this could be said the other way around. Now, I talked about it's not wise and good for women to jump in and it's not, um, I would say, respectful and appropriate to jump in and say, hey, what you said is wrong and jump up in this gathering and just try to give me there. Maybe you talk to your husband after we go leave. But there, I will say there are times where ladies, when the men are just being incompetent and passive and they're not doing what they're called to do and we're clearly not going the direction God's called us, where you have to step up and say, hey, this is not God's way. You hear me? Romans chapter 13, it talks to us about this. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Talking about governing authorities like government, like, a, like the U.S. government. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. What, here's the thing you need to understand. We should listen to our governing authorities in America. It's God-honoring. God had a hand in those leaders becoming those leaders. That might blow your mind, but he's the sovereign God of the universe, and that's what he's done. And we need to respect them all the way to the point where they ask us to do something that is very obviously not biblical. Do you understand what I'm saying? They ask you to wear a mask, you go, oh, this is infringing on my, I can't follow Jesus. Listen, let me just go ahead and tell you this. I've said this before and people are like, oh, you're stepping on toes. I could care less. I can share the gospel through a, through a mask. Some of you go, oh, they're taking away our freedom of speech. You took your freedom of speech away from yourself long before they ever said anything about it. When's the last time you shared Christ with somebody who's far from Jesus? A mask and them taking away your speech is not getting in the way. You are. You hear what I'm saying? But as soon as they're asking you to do something that is absolutely against the will of God, we go, hey, can't go there. And we stand for it. Ladies, it's the same in the church. You go, man, I'm going to be a part of this. There's things that I'm not quite sure about. But when it comes to a point where we go, this is not in keeping with the will of God. This is not what God's called us to. It is very apparent and true. And no one is stepping up and speaking it. Be the woman of God who says, hey, i got to raise my hand. i got to say, hey, this is not right. 
Now, do everything you can to be a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of woman who loves and does it with humility and grace and kindness, but be firm and steadfast in your trust in God and say, this is where we need to go. And man, we're gonna, we need to repent. You hear what I'm saying, women? Hear what I'm saying? Hear what I'm saying? Everybody, let's be a place where they don't have to do that because men were leading in a way that only blesses our gals and glorifies God. Guys, amen. We want to be that kind of group of men? That's what I want to be. Now, let me read verses 36 through 40, because I think it's the final input, and it's a period on the conversation. Or was it from you that the word of God came? It's not talking about women. It's talking about all of us. Is it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached? Don't think you're some high and mighty. This doesn't apply to me. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Friends, what he's saying is, look, and I hope this is true, that what I'm communicating to you is true. If it's true, it's true, and let's run in it. And you should affirm it as true, and let's go. Let's take off, let's obey. It's God's word. Now, here's the thing. We're not trusting in Greg. We're trusting in God in the way that he's designed us. So, ladies, look to the Lord as the author and perfecter of your faith who loves you deeply. Men, look to the author and perfecter of your faith who loves you deeply. And let's follow the Lord and say, this is the word of the Lord. Let's go. But let's be a church where women thrive, men thrive, and the next generation, they go far beyond what we could ever imagine. Does that sound good? Let's be that church. Let's pray. Stand with me. Father, I'm so thankful that you have gifted me, equipped me to not just be a man, but a man with the gifts I have. But I'm also so incredibly thankful that a, a sinner, a rebellious, broken, perverted, lost, wicked Man, you chose to love and accept and redeem. And I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for the men and women in this room, men and women in this room who have experienced the same thing that I have. Hey, you've loved them. Even when they were dead in their trespasses and sins, you saw them as lovely and you doted on them and you died for them that they may have life. And I praise you for that. I pray that we'd be a people who are not distracted by the cultural paradigm, but that we would take on the fullness of Christ and live exactly as you've called us to live. And that our culture and the culture of Cody would look at our women and say, wow, these are amazing women. They would look at our men and say, wow, those are amazing men. And we would just say, well, it's all because we have an amazing Savior. We follow him. And he does far more than we can ever ask or imagine. Jesus, you be glorified today and help us as a people to value our women and help our women to help and help our men and help them become the greatest men they can be in the gospel of Jesus. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.